You know, you know, whenever my brother Mark says, just believe about half of what he says. Um, when I look at his life, it makes me believe in purgatory. <laughs> I just praise the Lord. <laughs> it's really always a joy to be with you guys and to share with you. This morning, I, I want to talk about, uh, about how to get along with people you can't stand. Yeah? God bless you. My text is Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, this is a disturbing text. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, watch, just as in Christ God forgave you. The idea here is uh, that we're to forgive like God. Now, obviously, forgiveness is a gnarly topic to begin with. But to put it and couch it and frame it like it is in texts like this, uh, that we're to forgive like God, I mean, you immediately run into the problem. Wait a minute. I'm not God, right? And uh, the theological answer to that is, yes, you're exactly right. You're not God. You never will be a God or God. However, in Christian thought, the, 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 the whole idea is that God somehow, even though we're not God and never will be God, God has come to take residence in our lives. This morning we celebrate the, the, uh, um, the day of Pentecost in the Christian calendar. And this is the time in the church when we understand that these human beings gathered and somehow God figured out a way to pour himself into the lives of people that we have become, as Paul suggests here in 1 Corinthians 6, very, very much temples of God. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Somehow God has taken residence in us. We're like temples. We're ported temples to be sure, but we are temples nonetheless. And somehow in Christian thought, God is present, not just as an idea, He's not just present because we believe in doctrine. He's present in a way that the theologians call ontological. What that means is that God is actually, in essence, present in reality in the human life. So where is he? I don't know exactly, but somewhere metaphysically, he's somewhere inside us. Each one of us with our own personalities, our own uh, understandings, our own experiences, need to find ways to find out where we sense him the most in us. This is the why of church. This is the why of worship. This is the why of prayer. This is the why of study. Because we're trying to locate, we're trying to find the locus of God's presence in our lives so that we can learn to reflect on him. Why? Because the Christian life isn't just about being do-gooders. The Christian life isn't just about believing certain ethical or moral doctrines. The Christian life is about learning how to tap into the one who dwells within so that we can let him release into the world. That people actually encounter the living God through the people who are the followers of God. According to Jesus' teaching, when we run into people we can't stand and they slap us with their stuff, that we're not to react out of the sting. The metaphor he uses is, when Simon slaps you in the face, turn the other cheek. What's he saying? Turn, don't react from your sting. Don't react from your pain. Don't react like you would naturally as a human because you're not just a human. You are, but you're a human plus. You're plus a temple of God. And you're to turn the other cheek, which implies that you're to look to another dimension. 
You will look to a, you're to look to a greater place, to a place where there's strength, a place where God dwells. In Romans 5, Paul picks up on this. He says, the hope that we have in the world to change the world, the hope that we have to make a difference, the hope that we have to matter, it doesn't have to put us to shame because God's love... Oh, listen, I'm already freaking that one out. <laughs> that was a 37-year-old woman went out there right now. <laughs> it, it was screaming, by the way, if you didn't hear that. <laughs> Those of you watching the campuses. Uh, God, somehow, we don't have to be disappointed because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. That, that to forgive like God means that we tap into the love of God that has been poured out into us as believers. Now, here's what's so important to understand. We don't forgive because we're supposed to forgive. We don't forgive because it's a moral obligation. This isn't just a moralism that we should, you know, we ought to forgive people. That's not why we do it. We forgive because forgiveness changes the world. We're kind because the kindness that we ex extend to people actually transforms the evil that's in people and brings them under the rule of God. I mean, this is exactly how God overcomes the evil in us. As he moves toward us with kindness, with forgiveness, with goodness. We read in Romans chapter 2, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, uh, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward change, toward repentance, toward transformation. I mean, the thing that transforms us, the thing that overtakes the evil that's in us is God's love and God's kindness and God's forgiveness. It transforms us. And what he's saying is you and I are to be extensions into the world, that we are to be in a very real place, a very real way, God to others. Interesting text uh, and, 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 and by being God to others, we're not God, but by being God to others in that sense of extension, as being his part of his life, that we bring transformation and overcome the evil that's motivating and dominating and pervading the world around us. Uh, interesting text in Exodus 7. Uh, the Lord said to Moses, hey, you have made, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. I have made you like God to Pharaoh. See, what if in his economy of thought, God's economy of thought, then when he sets you in that, to be that Starbucks manager or to be that, work in that office or to raise those uh, five jelly-faced toddlers, <laughs> what if in God's mind he's thinking, you're my person, I want you to be God to them. I want you to show them how God responds to conflict. And pressure and expectation and applause or the lack thereof. I want you to be my body in the world. Aren't we called the body of Christ? That somehow our hands, our eyes, our responses, our life represents God. And, and, and when we represent God, what that means is we're always moving toward people. We're always believing in people. We want to believe the best of them. Now that doesn't mean that you, 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 you move so close to a person that they override you with their evil. I mean, some people you have to watch from a distance, right? They're the zoo people. <laughs> See, I love the zoo. I love the animals at the zoo. 
I go there and I look at them. I like going to the zoo. But I never jump into the cages. <laughs> right? See, there are some people, you don't want to jump in their cage. Amen. Right? But you have to love them. And you have to figure out ways to move toward them and get as close as you can, but keep your boundaries. I mean, even Jesus, he came to die for the world. He came to bear the sin of the world. He always believed in people. And yet, the text says in John 2, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them. Why? Because he knew all men. See, Jesus had boundaries. You, we give ourselves, we move toward people, but we never let them control our lives. Boundaries are appropriate. We, we need to set them up and be appropriate with them. But that, mean, that does not mean that we can write them off. Huh? Even in the prodigal story, there was boundaries where the father is so for the son, but the son runs off. He goes to the brothels. He goes, ends up in the pig pen. The father doesn't go in there with him. The father's always looking for him, always wanting to move toward him, always open to him. And it isn't until the son starts coming back that the father enjoins him. Because it's safe then. See, just because you love people and you're to move toward them does not mean you're supposed to take all kinds of abuse from them. Amen. Right? And you need to stay safe. But watch out because it's very easy. The truth is when people act in ways we can't stand, it's very easy to get mad about it and write them off. And God says, no, he's called us to something more. He's called us to learn to forgive people. That sucks on so many levels. <laughs> I mean, there's something that seems wrong about it. Somebody you know, slaps you, you're stinging, and you're supposed to forgive them? What is that about? I mean, you, need, you should at least, uh, you know, you should at least bite them. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, you know, you gotta, I mean, you know, let's be honest, let's, let's attack. Right? That's what it feels like. And yet, that's the thing about Jesus. He often asks us to do things that are counterintuitive. He often asks us to do things that seem odd to us. I mean, I like being greedy at times, but God always calls us to give. I, I, I like being selfish and disengaged. I often feel like I've earned that right. And yet he calls us to be caring and engaged. I like hating myself when I fail and sin. In some ways, I think by hating myself, I'm making up for it. Right? And yet he calls me to accept his forgiveness, carte blanche, to run to him when I fall instead of running from him in guilt and stuff. He calls me to do that. It's counterintuitive, but that's what he calls me to do. I like to hate people when they sin against me. You know, I like to pray, God, would you like me to hate them? <laughs> <coughs> because I'm ready. <laughs> but he calls me to forgive my offenders. The reality is, Jesus will ruin your life. I mean, they didn't tell you that when you came to Christ. <laughs> but dude, it's true. I mean, you, you come and he's upending your world and demanding things from you that are just a lot of times just flat out painful. And yet that's his call to us. The Greek word translated forgiveness is the Greek word aphaimi. And what it means is it means to send away the offense. I mean, it hits you. You're to send it off. You're to release it. You're to let it go. You know how counterintuitive that is because you want to, it hits you and it's stinging and you want to focus on it. You want to meditate on it. You want to fester over it. You want to get angry about it and just let the, and just day after day get angrier and angrier. That's why Paul said, don't let, if you're angry, he said, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. In other words, don't leave room for the devil. Listen, you don't want to leave room. Making room for the devil doesn't sound good, Amen. right? 
the way you make room for the devil is by focusing on how you've been offended. You're actually making room for the devil in your life and in the life of that person. But when we forgive and we throw it back to the cross, and that's where we throw it, it's to the cross. We're basically saying to God, God, the cross is enough for you. The blood of Jesus is enough for you to forgive me of my sin. It's enough for me to forgive others of their sin to me. When you don't forgive, what you're basically saying is, God, the cross is good enough for you, and I appreciate that for you. But it's not good enough for me. The blood of Jesus isn't good enough for me. That person needs to pay. We don't realize just how offensive our lack of forgiving is because we don't understand the basis of it. It's the cross. But God calls us to forgive. It's obviously not easy, but I want to give you just a couple of helpful thoughts to help you in the process of getting along with people you can't stand. All right? So here's helpful thought number one. If, you, if you're going to get along with people you can't stand, you've got to choose to look past their offenses and try to understand why they're being such punks. People usually have a reason for being a punk, right? Uh, Stephen Covey, who's a, who's a great author, tells a story about one Sunday, early Sunday morning, when he was on a subway. He had gotten on a subway. And uh, he got to one of the stops, and uh, this, young, uh, this young man with two young boys got on the train, on the subway. And so as the thing took off, the little kids started getting a pretty rambunctious, and Stephen Covey, you know, who teaches a lot and talks a lot about, you know, relationships and that sort of thing. And, uh, he's looking at the father, wondering, when is he going to take charge here? And the father just seems to be lost in his own world, which started ticking t- Stephen off. He just started getting ticked off about it. So these kids are running around. Pretty soon they're being crazy. He keeps looking at the dad. He's percolating in his anger. And then pretty soon, at one point, the kids are getting so rambunctious, they knocked against this older gentleman who was completely startled, dropped his paper. And Covey finally said, this is enough. So he said, sir, you know, angrily, sir. And the guy goes, what? He said, take charge of your kids. And the man goes, oh, I'm sorry. He said, and so he told the kids to sit down. He said, he said I'm really sorry. He said, I, he said we... We just left the hospital. He said, my wife just died this morning. And Covey said, without any action or choice on my own, all the angst, all the anger, all the discontent, all the offense dissipated in me. See, one of the things that will help you is to realize weird people act weird because of stuff that's happened to them. This, I mean, that waitress from hell? <laughs> Try to understand her. Don't, don't take it so personally. Some of those people you work with that are so mean and caustic and toxic, it's because they've been so wounded. And, and what if God is calling us as his people to go into a wounded world to bring salve, not to slap back? See, I was driving my car one time. Uh, I was in college and... I'm coming over this hill, and I break for animals. I'm coming over this hill, and there's this cat right there. It's a little country road. So I saw it, I'm slowing down, and I hit him. You know, right as I start, I get him, boom, I hit him. And, and, I, and so I got out of the car. I wanted to know what happened. He wasn't dead. You know, he, he kind of got his head up. He was looking at me weird, kind of doing this, you know, wobbling a little. I could see I hit him on the head. He kind of looked up. He shouldn't have done that. But um, anyway, so I, I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get him. I'll take him to the that. So I kind of went over to get him and he started going, <laughs> he started manifesting. 
He had demons. <laughs> mean, weird, and scary. It freaked me out. He shot off into the dark, into the uh, cornfields in the, in, in the night. And I remember telling a friend of mine a few days later, I said, man, I tell him the story. I said, that was so weird. It just freaked me out. I mean, he's like, that cat was demon-possessed. And he looked at me. He said, listen, he said, wounded animals don't act right. Wounded animals don't act right. Neither do wounded humans. It will help you when you move into the world to understand that God has called us to be in a world of fragmented people. We're all from the land of broken toys. And what if ministry isn't just about us telling people words? What if it's not just about us, you know, getting the message together, putting in a tract and handing it to people and saying, here, be ministered, you, you just need to hear the gospel. What if it's more than that? What if it's about, as Paul said, that we're to put the full armor of God on so that we could stand in the evil day? You know what he's talking about? He's talking about this evil plan against, of the devil against our lives. What is it? What is the evil plan? Paul tells us in Ephesians 6. He says it's for you and I to think that our struggle is against people, against flesh and blood. You know what the devil wants you to think? Your problem is that guy you married, that woman you married. It's, it's that adult child you've got. It's that in-law that you know is an outlaw. It's that guy on the job who takes credit for all your stuff. See, and he'll get you so freaked out about how everybody's not, it's not fair, it's not fair, God, make it fair! Instead of understanding where to put the whole armor of God on, precisely so we can walk into a hurting world that's reacting to everything, but instead of us reacting out of stings, we turn the other cheek and we react from another place, and all of a sudden we're bringing love to bear, forgiveness to bear, kindness to bear, that actually transforms lives. I saw a show the other night where this little girl, she, her, she lost her dad first in the car accident, then her mother died. She was in the hospital. And she's just a little nine-year-old girl, and she just freaked out when the doctor said, I am so sorry. And she ran at the doctor, and she starts hitting the doctor. She just starts pummeling the doctor with her fists, and the doctor in the scene is just taking the hits from this little girl. And she finally exhausts herself, and he just lets her do it until he finally just... She rests into the hug and weeps. I thought, that's it. That's us. We're to go into a dying world with hurting people. And and Jesus said, if somebody slaps on your face, turn the other cheek. Why? We can afford this. We know the healer. He said, if somebody wants your shirt, you give them your coat. Why? Because we're supposed to just be abused and just, you know, be like little, take whatever one, I'm a Christian. That's not it. We're to let them take our shirt and our coat. Why? Because we know the provider. We can afford it. They say, go with me two miles instead of one. We go the two miles. Why? Because we don't have to complain because we can afford it. We know the strengthener. See, what is he saying? He's saying, you and I can go into the world and people can pound on us a little bit and we can love them until it's exhausted and then we embrace them. What if this is God's call for the church? that this is more important, or at least as important as what's happening at this moment on a Sunday morning. That God loves people enough to send you into their world. Provocative thought. Helpful thought number two. Remember the cross. Everybody say the cross. (laughs) You know, before the cross, there was no way to separate people from their sin. 
So if someone was being really bad, you killed them. Because they were being evil, the only way to deal with evil is to kill the evil person because they were the perpetrators of the evil. There was no way to separate them. That's why there was this great ancient law that ruled the world. It's called the lex tilionis. And what it means is, it's a Latin phrase that means an eye, the idea of the law of retribution. You know it best as eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And, you know, there's something wonderful about that. You know, when you think, particularly the guys, some of you girls go, oh, but the guys go, yeah. You, you knock out my eye? I mean, I'll be upset about it, but if I know I get to knock out your eye, it just soothes my soul. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's all right, that's all right, that's right. Just, just come here. You break my bone, I'm bummed out about it, but, you know, I've got a little bit of hope. I get to break your bone, right? Something seems right about that. But, but God figured out a way to destroy evil without destroying the person that's perpetrating the evil. It's called the cross. And so Jesus said, you've heard it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Remember, he used to kill him. Don't even resist him. If somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other also. What's he saying? He's saying that we always are against evil, but that means, but now we're not against people who perpetrate evil. There's a new way to deal with evil that quells evil, that overcomes evil without destroying the person. God figured out a way. And you know how it works? It's through our loving and our forgiveness. You read it in Romans 12. Paul said, don't take your own revenge. Let God get on people. Well, get on, how does God get on people? He destroys the evil, not the person. And so he says, when your enemy's hungry, feed him. What is that about? I mean, if your enemy's hungry, it seems to me that he ought to just starve to death so he realizes he's an idiot for being your enemy. I mean, if you sit there hungry, you should say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, you're hungry. You're my enemy. Maybe God will use it, right? Or if he's thirsty, let him get close to death. God will use it. See, that's what we think. But God says, no, if he's hungry, feed him. Take away the thing that might motivate him to change. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Take away the thing you think might motivate him to change. No, you take care of his needs and you love him. Why? Because in so doing, you're heaping burning coals on his head. Well, at first blush, you think it lasts, right? <laughs> Vengeance. But unless you understand the Bible and coals, God in Isaiah, Isaiah looked at God in Isaiah 6 and he said, I'm a man of unclean lips with the midst of an unclean people. And the angel took a pair of tongs, picked up a coal and put it on his mouth and burned away the evil. When God pours coals on people's heads, what he's doing is purging away the thing that makes them evil. How does he do it? Your love. How does he do it? You not taking revenge. How does he do it? You not responding from the sting, but from another place. How does he do it? Paul says you overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You and I are called to change the world, but the way we do it is different. It's by loving. Okay, two more quick ones. Second to the last one is this. You get along with weird people by choosing. Everybody say choosing. choosing. Say it out loud, choosing. Choosing to forgive. In other words, choosing to me. Why do I say that? Because most of us want to feel it. We think it's an event. I, I'm really praying about forgiving them. I'm having a hard time forgiving them. No, you're not. You're saying you're having a hard time feeling it. But fe- forgiveness isn't a feeling. It's a choice. And it's an action. It's a practice. It's like exercise. Let's not go there. <laughs> exercise. I was going to say exercise, but don't, you know, no, no, no. Just keep, keep your convictions to yourself. 
It's something you do. It's something you practice. It, it comes from that Greek word, Ephaimi. It means you send it away. The problem is when, when somebody offends you and it's in your mind and you're beginning to fester on it, you say, no, 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 you're not going to be in my mind. I'm going to throw it on the cross. The problem with that is it's, it has a kind of boomerang effect. Because you throw it on the cross, you feel this moment of release, I've forgiven them, and then two seconds later, <laughs> hits you in the head. <laughs> and you go, no, 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 no. I forgive him, Father. Based on the cross, I let it go. I trust you. Oh, you feel a little relief, and all of a sudden, two minutes later, boom, it hits you in the head again. And you're thinking, oh, I can't believe they did that. How many of you know what I'm talking about is true? Oh, yeah. Right? When, especially if the offense is deep, it's hard to let it go. The call to forgiveness isn't to feel it. It's called to give it to God every time it comes back. Say, how many times do I do that? Jesus said you're to forgive people 70 times 7. That's 490. And then one gospel adds a day. Now that sucks. <laughs> right? That means you have no right to fester. You just, every time it comes, you give it to God. Every time it comes, you give it to God. I call it the 490 principle. Yeah. Here's the reality. You, somebody offends you, you'll keep casting it to God maybe 490 times a day. You'll have to cast it to God tomorrow. Good news. 480. <laughs> Two weeks, you're down to 300. About eight weeks, 120, 127. And then you see the guy at the mall, back up to 490. <laughs> what do you do? Keep casting it. Eventually, it will lose its power, and you would have forgiven them. Right? And then the last thing is this. Recognize that when you forgive someone, that it's not just, you're not just doing it to be a goody two-shoes. You're doing it to release a supernatural power of God to change a person's life. And it requires a note of the supernatural. Some of you remember, and I'll close with this story, Corey Temboon. She's a lady that lived in, as a prisoner in the concentration camps in Nazi Germany during World War II. And she saw these horrible acts by the Nazis. Her own sister was murdered by the Nazis. And she talked about how it was so difficult not to hate them. And she said, quote, in the concentration camp where I was imprisoned many years ago, sometimes bitterness and hatred tried to enter my heart when people were so cruel to my sister and me. You get that. She said, then I learned this prayer. It's a thank you based on Romans 5.5. 5. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have brought into my heart the love of God through the Holy Spirit who has given me. Thank you, Father that your love in me is victorious over the bitterness in me and the cruelty around me. After I prayed it, I would experience this miracle that there was no more room for bitterness in my heart. Will you learn to pray that prayer too? She asks. If you are a child of God, you have a great task in your prison. You are a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Will you use this to win others to Christ? You can't, you say. I can't either, she says. But Jesus can. The Bible says, be filled with the Spirit. If you will give room in your life to the Holy Spirit, then he can work through you, making you the salt of the earth and a shining light in your prison. Family, listen to me. What this all means is that you matter. What this means is that the people that you know matter. God has set all of us in the world. The greatest thing you can bring to the world is not just your money, not just gathering in a room. The greatest thing we can bring to the world is you, living out your life well, putting on the armor of God and telling people, bring it on. 
because I've got the life of God and I will love you into the kingdom. This, my friend, is ministry. Bless you. I'm going to invite the ushers if they would come as we just prepare for communion and our worship team if they would return. By the way, celebration, particularly the men that are here. Pastor Ed is going to be one of the main speakers at the Manly Man Conference at the end of August, and so you won't want to miss that. I want to encourage you to make sure you get a ticket and invite some of the men in your life, some of the friends, uh, maybe at work or neighbors, and make sure that they're here as well. He'll be one of the speakers at that and be really a blessing. One of the small little phrases that Pastor Ed used right at the very beginning caught my attention. When he referred to the fact that we are like Porter Christians. And we to allow the reflection of who God is in our hearts and our lives to reflect the people around about. We are to be Allow through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us to be that representative to touch the lives around about us. Now for someone here this morning, right here at this very moment in our service, for someone here this morning that this part of the service is going to be a a very important time for you. In a few moments we're going to be praying a simple prayer, a prayer of salvation. We're going to put sharing and communion. The bread that represents the body of Christ and the grape juice, that, the wine that represents the blood of Jesus. Very important part. But for someone, before we get to that part, this moment in the service is, is, is vitally important. And that the reason is, it has eternal significance for you. You may have thought, well, I'm going to go to church this morning and this is going to be a good thing. I'm going to go with my family and my friends. And, you know, I don't know whether I really want to be there. It's a beautiful day in Green Bay, Wisconsin. We have very few of those. I'd and it's not all about just being in church. This, but there's a reason why you're here this morning, as you've heard the word being preached. Because the truth is, because of the cross. It was mentioned this morning as well. And what Jesus did on that cross when he died... And when he gave his life for our forgiveness. It says in Romans 10, 9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There comes a point where we confess our sins, we believe in our heart, we repent of our sins, and God says he's faithful and just, will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In a moment, we're going to pray a simple prayer. I'm going to invite all of you to repeat this prayer after me. And as you pray it this morning... For someone here this morning, there will be an eternal change that will happen. The Bible talks about being born again. Born again. Going out of darkness into glorious light. Very important part of what we're about this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm just going to invite all of us just to pray this simple prayer. Repeat this simple prayer after me. Would you do that? Would you repeat these words? Dear Lord Jesus, something in my heart tells me I need you. I now confess my sin and I repent of my sin and by faith ask you to come into my life as my personal Savior and my Lord. Now if you just keep your heads bowed just for a moment. If you this morning have prayed that prayer for the very first time, 
First time you've prayed the prayer, and I want to ask you to do one other thing for me. If you prayed that prayer, I want to ask you just to look up in just a moment. If you just look up at me and give me a chance to make eye contact with you. Just as a way of saying, Pastor Lathan, I prayed that prayer this morning. I've reached out and I've repented of my sin, confessed my sin, and I know that I'm responding to something that will have eternal significance in my life. Is anyone here this morning that would just right now just look up at me? Give me a chance to make eye contact with you. God bless you. There's someone else? There's a number of you that are looking up. God bless you. Father, we thank you for those that this morning are responding to, you, to your word and responding as they have prayed that prayer, receiving into their life. Lord, your word says that in heaven there is great celebration when one comes to salvation. And so we thank you for that, Lord, and we give you praise for it. We pray your blessing over our communion time this morning, Lord. As we partake of this, as we examine our lives, examine our hearts, examine our thoughts, examine our actions, examine all that we are. And we give you praise for it in your precious name.